welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today, we're going to read Genesis 17. And as a reminder, every day I read one chapter each day, and then I provide a very brief explanation of key ideas, thoughts, and themes, and the theology very briefly. Uh, My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. And you know what? For the most part, I'm pretty successful, although sometimes we go 30 minutes. So let's get into God's Word today. Let's take a look at Genesis 17. Genesis 17 says this, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any neighbor who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant to his offspring after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. And he shall be father to 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. 
And when he had finished t- talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Well, this is our reading today from Genesis 17. Now, in this chapter, we see the covenant of circumcision. Thirteen years after the birth of Ishmael, the Lord appears to Abram. And in a series of speeches, God announces that he will establish an eternal covenant with Abraham and his offspring. This covenant will involve Abraham as the father of many nations. His name is changed also to Abraham in this chapter. The sign of the covenant is circumcision. And in the future, this covenant will be established with Isaac, but not with Ishmael, although the latter being circumcised will enjoy some of the benefits of the covenant. Most of the chapter consists of a divine speech that focused on the part to be played by God in verses 4 through 8, Abraham in verses 9 through 14, and Sarah in verses 15 through 16. So the nature and the contents of the covenant, it distinguished it from the covenant of chapter 15, which is about the future of the nation. Verses 1 through 2, the Hebrew name El Shaddai is used here. And like many other divine names in Genesis, the common Semitic word for God, El, is followed with a term that highlights a particular attribute of God. El Shaddai emphasizes God's power, which in this context will enable Sarai to bear Abram a son. Two closely related instructions are given, uh, giving challenging, uh, challenging him to maintain an ongoing relation with God and to be faultless or perfect. Walk before me is a distinctive verbal form in Hebrew, which is used here to underline the ongoing nature of this activity. Be blameless. The Hebrew term for blameless is used of sacrificial animals, which were to be without blemish. Noah, with whom God made a covenant, is also described in Genesis 6-9 as blameless, a man who walked with God. That I may make a covenant, the manner in which God introduces this covenant, distinguishes it from the formerly unconditional covenant made in verse 15. Of course, there is an implied connection in chapter 15. Abraham must continue to believe God's promise and must father offspring. Here, a conditional dimension is explicit, indicating that this covenant will benefit only those who walk before the Lord and are blameless. Verses 4 through 5. The father of a multitude of nations. These words summarize the covenant being established by the Lord. Everything else that the Lord says in the rest of the chapter expands on this core affirmation. So, to underline their importance, these words are repeated at the end of verse 5. Your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And so, the transformation of Abram's name to Abraham encapsulates the purpose of this covenant. Although the term father normally denotes a biological relationship, the Bible contains examples of its being used metaphorically. And Joseph describes himself as a father to Pharaoh in 45.8, Judges uh, 17.10, where Micah invites a young Levite to be his father. And so the concept of Abraham's being the father of a multitude of nations is related to the earlier promise in Genesis 12.3, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. 
That is, as a father figure, Abraham will have a profound influence on others, including those who are not his biological children. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Well, this promise echoes a divine blessing given at creation in Genesis 1.28 and later repeated to Noah after the flood in Genesis 9.1. Kings shall come from you. See, fruitfulness is associated with human beings exercising dominion over the earth on the Lord's behalf. God's covenant with Abraham anticipates the reestablishment of the creation mandate. That is, Abraham is another Adam, a covenant representative. And through this covenant, the negative effects of the fall will ultimately be reversed. Verse 7, for an everlasting covenant. The covenant will be ongoing in nature, extending from one generation to the next. Verses 10 through 14 introduce circumcision as God's appointed sign of the covenant. Circumcision is not a Hebrew invention. It was used in Egypt from the early periods as an act of ritual purity, a requirement for men who would work in, in the Egyptian temple. Some tomb scenes from as early as the Old Kingdom in 2575 to 2135 BC depict this practice. Verse 11. You shall be circumcised in the flesh for your foreskins. Circumcision, which involves the cutting off of the foreskin of a man's genitalia, it creates a mark that would not normally be visible to others. And the nature of the sign, it suggests that it was intended to focus on the importance of Abram's offspring, the royal line through which the blessing would come. Verse 12, eight days old. This ensures that the covenant extends to the next generation and that all newborn male children are to be circumcised uh, when they're eight days old. Verses 12 through 13. All the male members of Abram's household are to be circumcised. This means that the covenant is not about establishing a racial, racial purity since males who are not Abram's offspring are included. Nor is it about the social status. No distinction here is drawn between those who are born in Abraham's household and those who are bought with money. Verse 14, shall be cut off from his people. Every uncircumcised male was excluded from the benefits of belonging to the covenant. Circumcision distinguished those who believed in the importance of the divine promise to Abraham from those who did not. This created a major theological problem for the early church as more and more Gentiles believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And while some Jewish believers argued that circumcision was necessary for salvation, Paul contended that righteousness comes through faith and that circumcision of the heart is what matters, not circumcision of the foreskin, as we see in Romans 2, 25-29, 1 Corinthians seven fifteen through 18 and Galatians six fifteen. Uh, verses 15 through 16. The name Sarah is changed to the alternate form, Sarah. Both forms mean princess. I will give you a son by her. God Almighty will overcome Sarah's barrenness and provide a son for Abraham. Laughed and said to himself, while Abraham's reaction indicates that he considers the promise of God that Sarah will bear a son to be at the least very highly improbable. After all, they're too old for children. Verse 19, Isaac means he laughs. And the motif of laughter occurs a number of times associated with the birth of Isaac in verse 17 and 18, 12 through 15. Abraham and Sarah respectively laugh out of unbelief that a son will be born to them. But, but there may be elements of joy in these instances also. The joy of giving birth to Isaac causes Sarah to laugh in 21, 6. I will establish my covenant with him. 
So echoing what has been said in 17.7, this verse clarifies that the eternal covenant will be established with Isaac, but not with Ishmael. Here's an important distinction is drawn between those who whom the covenant is established and those who may receive particular benefits of the covenant. While Ishmael and the other male members of Abraham's household are circumcised, the continuation of the covenant is linked to a unique line of Abraham's descendants that continues through Isaac. This line leads to Jesus Christ, through whom God's blessing so mediates in a saving way to others. Verse 20. Although God favors the yet-to-be-born Isaac over Ishmael, the latter is still blessed by God with a promise that he will become a great nation in Genesis 25, 12-18. Verses 23 through 27, uh, through repeated references to circumcision, these verses underline that Abraham conscientiously fulfilled God's instruction to him. See, God again pledges to give the land of Canaan to Abraham and his offspring, as we see in Genesis 17, 8. Egyptian, uh, ancient Egyptian maps show that Canaan comprised an area roughly uh, coterminous with the modern nation of Israel, as well as the southern Lebanon and Syria. This land Yahweh promises will be an everlasting possession and he will continue to be the Lord of Abraham's progeny after he is gone. Now, the the promise of land has conditions attached to it. Yahweh's pledge to be the God of the patriarch's offspring, it implies that the inheritance of the promises depend on fidelity to Abraham's children to the creator. This thought becomes even more than an inference when the Almighty orders Abraham to keep the covenant in uh, verse 9 of our chapter today. Hebrew grammar helps illustrate the foundational principle of covenant keeping. The terms rendered keep and covenant occur independently throughout the Old Testament, but they are combined in only 13 places. And of these 13, seven describe the Lord's steadfast love for and commitment to his people. For example, in Deuteronomy 7, 9. And thus, when God commands his people to keep his covenant, he is ordering us to persevere in a love for him that motivates service to him in all that we do, as we see in uh, Mark twelve twenty eight through 34. Persistent flagrant violation of the covenant provoked the Lord to send old covenant Israel into exile, as we see in Deuteronomy 28 and 2 Kings 17, 7 through 23, and 2 Chronicles 36, 1 through 21. This is a warning for everyone. Those who will not love the Messiah have no claim on the Lord's promise of land and life. And moreover, any who merely profess to be part of the new covenant Israel can, through brazen transgression, reveal they lack faith and be cut off from the covenant. And yet, in keeping with this promise to multiply Abraham's descendants in verse 6 of Genesis 17, God has always preserved a faithful remnant. This elect group survives by grace alone and through knowing that the Lord requires them to keep the covenant, to trust in the only one who kept himself free from any transgression. That is, Christ's perfect obedience is imputed to those who trust in Christ alone and they can be assured that they will inherit God's promise to Abraham as we see in Galatians 3.29. The New Testament tells us that we can be sure we have a persevering faith in Jesus if we maintain right doctrine in 1 John 2.22-23, that we love other Christians in 1 John 3.14, and obey Christ's commands in 1 John 2.3-6. And while we're not ever going to be perfect in this, we're going to be growing in the grace of God and we're going to need to repent. We will still endeavor to do these things and repent whenever we're not doing them as we should. And if we do these things, we walk blamelessly. Be assured that you are in Christ if you trust in Christ alone. 
Now, following the institution of circumcision and the promise of Isaac, Moses tells us that God went up from Abraham in Genesis 17:22, And immediately Abraham is faithful to the stipulation given to him, and he applies the covenant sign and seal to his entire household. Child or servant, native or foreigner, all males are circumcised that very day, Genesis 17:26 says. Now, the Hebrew phrase, these words uh, translate, is used elsewhere to describe Noah's entrance into the ark in Genesis 7.13 and Israel's exodus from the Egypt in Exodus 12.51. And like these events, Abraham's actions are monumentous in the history of redemption, marking a new revelation of God's unfolding plan to renew his creation. Uh, on the day Abraham was circumcised, he was further set apart as a member of God's gracious covenant. Now, notice the different ages, the economic statuses, the maturity levels of those circumcised. Abraham had long followed God, and so he had grown much spiritually before his circumcision. But this is not true for everyone. The patriarch was wealthy, but some in his household were servants, as we see in verse 27. Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised in verse 25, but his father was 99 when he received the covenant sign, according to verse 24. We should expect the visible covenant community to have such a variety day. Healthy churches will include those raised in the faith like Timothy, as we see in 2 Timothy 1.5, as well as those like new covenants, like those of the, like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8.26-39, rich men like Joseph of Arimathea, according to Matthew 27.57, and poor widows, as we see in James 1.27, are equally welcome in Bible uh, practicing and preaching and spirit-led fellowships that is local churches like abraham's household strong churches will also have those who do not take the covenant sign and seal seriously many like ishmael are never circumcised in the heart even though in baptism they were set apart to the lord some will never come to saving faith in christ alone as matthew henry says both under the old and the new dispensation many have had the outward profession and the outward seal who were never sealed by the holy spirit of promise Today, the church often uses marketing strategies to maximize numerical growth and terrorist ministry in order to reach one specific group or walk of life. And yet the church must be the one institution on earth where race, age, gender, and economic status or any other such identity marks do not divide people. For all believers are one in Christ. They've been united to Christ by faith in his name. Take some time to help your church achieve such unity by befriending a Christian who is at a different stage in life than you. In considering the biblical covenants, most of us remember the one made with Abraham that we're considering today. As a patriarch represents a new start for man and a major advancement of the Lord's plan for salvation, we jump immediately into this important bond. And yet, if we're not careful, we can forget Sarah's valid role in God's covenant with Abraham. Theologians title this covenant with the name of Sarah's husband, but her place in God's plan is of no little import. Today, we all see earlier hints that Sarah's role in this covenant come into bloom. She is the one to give birth to the promised son in Genesis uh, 17:16. Abraham is not the sole recipient of the almighty grace of God. His elderly wife will also share in her husband's blessing. And though she took matters into her own hands by giving her blessing to Hagar's union with Abraham, and even though she came close to blaming God for her infertility in Genesis 16, Sarah still hasn't been forgotten. 
This matriarch who followed Abraham when Yahweh called him out of Ur gets the privilege of mothering a nation of priests and royalty. We would like to think of Abraham believed God at once without any doubt, but this is not the case. He falls down laughing, not from joy, as many other commentators suggest, but because he finds God's word nearly impossible to believe. His reaction is not so incredible, after all. Sarah is well past the age of childbearing. And yet, contrary to many scholars, Abraham's response to the Lord does not display total disbelief in the covenant promise. He falls on his face. That's a posture that ought to be considered a picture of submission, of trust, of worship. And once again, Abraham shows that real confidence of God does not rule out time times when his awesome promises are hard for us to receive. And yet, despite Abraham's trepidation, the Lord's will for his family is most certainly guaranteed. In laughing at the incredible nature of God's promise, the patriarch indirectly confirms the Creator's pledge. The Hebrew for, and laughed, contains the name of, of the promise, Isaac. God's word may seem incredible, but is absolutely sure. And in fact, Sarah helps us understand all those who by faith identify with Abraham's Lord and family shall be included in the promises of him. It seems incredible for God to bless Abraham with royal descendants. And it's often hard for us to see that God is continuing to do this in the church today, given the problems that we face in our world. But the Lord is indeed bringing his word to pass, and he uses our prayer and outreach to grow Abraham's family. The context of the command in Genesis 17:1, walk before me and be blameless is quite remarkable. In Genesis uh, 16, Abraham gave it uh, to Sarai's unwise plan of using Hagar to conceive the child that God promised Sarah would bear for Abram. Sarah's faith had weakened over time, waiting on God, had turned to attempting to help God along, and the entire plan back for it. And yes, Abraham went for it, foolish as though it was. Thirteen years had passed. Abraham was 99 years old, and Sarah was still barren. It is in this vulnerable, frustrated, desperate context that God appeared to Abraham. God's timing is perfect, though rarely is it according to our own schedule. And as we see throughout the whole Bible, God's command to Abraham to walk before him and to be blameless is anchored in God's giving of himself in the covenant. This is communicated by the new name by which God identifies himself to Abraham, El Shaddai, God Almighty. The name is used by God twice more in Genesis and Genesis 28.3 and Genesis 35.11, referring to his power over the womb and his ability to perpetuate the covenant line. It connected to the idea of being fruitful and multiply. It is also used at the beginning of the Exodus when God promises to deliver and to persevere the people of Israel on the basis of the promise made to Abraham in Exodus 6.4. You see, our God is all-powerful. He rules over all things in this world. He rules his people by his word and by his spirit, and he rules over the barren womb. Now, in response to God's person and promise, Abraham is to walk before God and to be blameless. And we need to note carefully that this obedience of Abraham is not something he must do in order to earn the favor of God. Rather, it is the appropriate response to God's grace that has sought Abraham out and chosen to bless him. Abraham's obedience is to be heartfelt in response to the grace of God, not as a means by which he earns it. God has been teaching Abraham and Sarah that the flesh profits nothing. They cannot bring about the promise by the flesh. Only God's power can fulfill it. God's people must learn to trust the Lord, to walk with the Lord through times of uncertainty, even as the flesh provides weak and the things of this world grow strangely dim. They must learn to die to themselves and walk by faith instead of by sight. 
It is in this context that God changes Abraham's name to Abraham, singling a profound change in identity and course of virtual resurrection. This event anticipates the work of Jesus Christ, who secures the blessings of the covenant for us and draws us into communion with himself. Through Jesus Christ, God both calls and enables us to walk before him and be blameless. It is a resurrection command, not one by which we earn God's grace, but one by which we exhibit the resurrection power of God in us, our source of grace and life. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today is January 17th, and we've looked at Genesis 17. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.